Hello, and welcome to Label Sessions Presents. Label Sessions is a global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people, whether you want advice, mentoring, or ideas. In this episode, myself and Ian Montgomery, also of Label Sessions, talk about our time at the Marketing, Advertising, and Disruption, or MADFest, in London, walking you through our highlights, lowlights, and tips for those who want to attend the fest next year. Let's hear it. We're here to talk about Manfest. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me, Ian, after, you know, traveling all the way from Canada to London. I just like, I've, I've missed sitting on planes, you know, so. Yeah, I know, I know. I thought I had a bad time traveling a four and a half hour train, never mind, you know, what is it? What's the chance I got a flight? How far is it? I think I had like a nine hour layover in Munich the other day. So yeah, I got to see Munich, so that was nice. So we'll, we'll kick us off with, um, just, we'll just start off with a little bit of the overall feelings. Like, what, what, how did you feel about Manifest overall? I thought it was great. Like, so I, I found out about it through, I did like the Mad Masters thing with Roy Sutherland a while back, because I'm like the fanboy of that guy. Um, and they gave me a ticket. So I was like, well, I've kind of got to go to this thing. I think the most interesting thing about that event is that you kind of have this, like the, U, the UK kind of has this very cool, innovative, disruptive, creative scene around advertising. And I actually think the last 10 years or so, it sort of lost its luster, got a bit stale, lost a bit of confidence for whatever reason. But then I thought like this event, like the volume of people that were there, it was really busy. We'll talk about that. Um, the, the quality of the speakers that they had, actually there's something quite special happening in like the UK creative scene where like living in Canada and living in the US, like it's not, we don't have that. So I'd love to bring some of that to this side of the ocean where whether it's like how we talk about a product, whether it's like different cultures around creativity, whether it's like rethinking loyalty, like the, the, the we'll talk maybe a bit about the, the the lady from Tesco. I thought that that to me, like that cluster of people, that vibe, that energy was like made for an awesome event. It's just a shame about the queues. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say the same thing. It was really, really energetic and bombastic for lack of a better term. It was really, there was so much going on. There's so much going on. The, the speakers, the speaking side of thing was really well organized and really well put out like there was a constant stream of just really interesting talks going on there wasn't very many that i wanted to skip it was kind of a case of there was too much that i wanted to see which is a better thing you ended up with like um, do you have two where you're like oh, i want to be there but i want to be over there and you're like trying to make a choice yeah. of which one you go to right yeah yeah yeah. so like i remember i think it was the the, the last day you were there the, the thursday um it was like back to back to back to back oh no it was the wednesday it was the mad women con mad women talk and then it was white claw and then it was jack daniels and their, how they marketed their products and stuff. And it, they were, that was fascinating. But um... Interesting that like, you see like, the, the craft and the care that goes into that. And you compare like, like the Jack Daniels people, like you can look at that and go, oh, it's all quite samey. And then as they were talking through actually that, like, here's the differences we made, here's the tweaks that we've done. Like the care and attention put into those campaigns. I think like actually most people don't notice that. And I only really notice it when they're talking it through. But once you've seen it, you're like, oh, actually that's genuinely distinctive versus some of the competition. Even though they were back to back, like White Claw and Jack Daniels, it was a case of like the different perspectives of like a legacy brand like Jack Daniels and how they sort of continually expand versus a newcomer that's making its way across the pond because white salt, hard seltzers aren't really a thing or were the thing until a few years ago. Basically, COVID is what ushered it in. I remember when White Claw wasn't in Canada, people were smuggling it in. And then when White Claw launched in Canada, there were queues outside liquor stores that had White Claw. And you, there was like, you could only buy a maximum of 48 cans of it. And it was like, it was a, it was like a hot commodity. And then now it's like, oh yeah, hard seltzers. That's a, that's a, that's a normal thing. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a cool different product. I mean, I quite like them. So I know a lot of people, it isn't to their taste because they kind of just taste, I've heard somebody say it's like a basically alcoholic LaCroix. Yeah. It's children's booze. <laughs> 
Yeah, we don't wow, we don't we don't to... condone condone that behavior. Sorry, I, I'll I'll retract my statement. No, I'll happily admit I'm a child. <laughs> <laughs> On the alcohol top like subject, the, we we watched the guy from Beaver Town, and he was talking about he was he was supposed to run a workshop, and you can't run a workshop when everyone's wearing like mm-hmm. silent disco style headphones for. For listening to a talk but i thought he was fantastic in that there's a there's a style of talk that people give that is very very down to earth humble the way he talked about like i'm dealing with other problems myself i have anxiety but this is how we like think about creativity and how we're building a culture at beaver town and he was like showing some of the work that they've been doing i'm pretty sure they're owned by heineken now so they're no longer like craft brewery they're now like owned by the corporates but i thought like the way that that guy just presented how that how they built their brand and like the there isn't a beer brand that's doing something like that on this side of the ocean. Um, and then even like the fun stuff, like their beer is called neck oil. So they've gone and made like neck oil sunscreen for like when you get sunburnt in a pub garden after you've had one or two. Um, it's just like tongue in cheek and fun, but at the same time, like around based around a real customer problem. Um, so I, I look at those things and like, there's a, to me, there's this thing of, I've worked with a, quite a few brands over the years where it's been small, it's had a character, it's been very distinctive, it's often been founder-led, and then it gets bought by a big conglomerate, especially in the drinks industry, and the character and the soul and the thing that made that product special, that brand special, gets killed. So watching this company that's been bought by a global brewing behemoth still doing things that are like fun and tongue-in-cheek and doing it with confidence, um, like to me, that's really inspiring. I, I want to see more brands that behave like that. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say he was absolutely probably my highlight because um, I wouldn't have never guessed that he was that uh, Beaver Town was bought or owned by a, a major by one of the big three because it's either Anbev, Heineken, or Carlsberg, right? Are the big three. Um, I never would have guessed. I would have because it was really refreshing and down to earth, like you say, and and quite quite sweary which i was surprised by but um... do that in the uk though like i i, I can get away with that I can, I can i can drop one or two swear words into a meeting i have to be careful i don't do too much but like there's a you can do that with a british accent it's quite hard to do it with a canadian one oh it's great when canadians swear they need to do that more fucking right eh, but well the thing i quite liked about the beaver town talk as well is obviously it was about how they market their brand but i thought it was quite interesting of the interaction our sort of interaction between how we perceive social media as well like that big sort of part where he was getting people to go through people's screen time. It's like, how many how many minutes or hours do you spend on green time, screen time? It's like, and I was like a minute. And then there's this one girl down the front who was like, I've been on it for nine hours in the span of two days. It's like, how is it even possible? Do you not use Instagram? Because like, well, I, when they did the, he, he said, that the, for the clarity people listen to this, he said it got people to open up and say, like, how much time are you spending on Instagram? I think I was like 25 minutes. I was like, oh, actually, that's less than I thought I spent more than that. I'm, I'm, I, it made me feel better about myself. Like, 25 minutes is okay. But you you spend one minute a day on it. You just not use Instagram, but you have it on your phone. I'm baffled by that. I have it to, to post our fine, lovely content. This very clip that you're going to read right now, you're going to watch right now on Instagram and nothing else. This is so meta. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I do like Instagram, but I've, I've, I, I'm a bit more of a Zoomer. I generally use TikTok myself. TikTok's sort of my jam, which is probably why I'm developing ADHD as we talk right now. But like, there was a lady at the front, and you, it was it was it wasn't four hours; it was nine hours. She spent nine hours. Like I assume she ran a platform on, ran a brand platform on on Instagram. But like his whole thing about the way that we're getting lost into that, it's not like a new thing. But like I just appreciated the way he the way he spoke about it. It's like it's not like you're bad for doing this thing. It was very much like be a bit more mindful of how you're spending your time and where that goes and what that means and that the impact that has on the culture and the people around you. Um, 
the other thing I really like that that guy talked about, and it's this sounds like such a self-help book thing, and I'm, I can't hide my cynicism for that kind of stuff, but I really appreciated how he said it. Um, but he, talked, he, he said, like, when you're doing a meeting, it's like, how are you? Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, fine. And he was like, how are you feeling? And, like, a, a, the, the cynical British person in me looks like, I'm like, oh, God, another one of these people. But actually, I think that's really, really important. So, like, that's a lesson that I think should be shared more widely than the 150, 200 people he had sat um, sat in front of him. So, like, yeah, um, asking people how they feel versus how they are. Lovely little tip. Yeah, it was a little tidbit. That was definitely um, my highlight, uh, other than the other ones that I mentioned before. Um, and, and speaking of swearer, I definitely think my low light would probably be the dairy is fucked. I really want... I, I, we was, we've been sat in that room for a little bit, right? And like it was full for Tesco, and we'll come to Tesco. And then it, people like emptied out a little bit, and then everybody came back for, like, is dairy fucked? And it was... The, the, the talk was fucked, but I don't know anything about the dairy industry after seeing it. <laughs> it felt kind of like what you and Nick were talking about with the Sheen sustainability promise that had been touring for Collision as well, where it felt like just a big empty promise of just, we know that we're a big company that's done right, done, done gone awry, rather. Um, and we're going to be better, but we don't know how we're going to be better other than we we'll pledge to year. be here next year and show you what we've done different. <laughs> So, so it's Accenture Song and Arla Foods. And it was like leader of Accenture Song, CMO of Arla Foods. I'm sure they are very talented, smart people. I don't want to knock them as individuals. But why would you take... And they're the only people that didn't take questions. But for 15 minutes, they basically said, we don't know if dairy's fucked. Um, they didn't really mention plant milks. They didn't really mention like what they're doing to improve quality of life for animals. Like... I, I love cheese. I love milk. I, I hope dairy isn't fucked. But like, I was like really wanting to see something like that, and I was genuinely impressed that someone from Accenture was allowed to say fucked because yeah. most big consultancies wouldn't allow that. But then just to stand on stage and not really say anything, it's like there's this weird, horrible trend of companies getting up, taking attention time, and not saying anything, or like, and then being like, right, we ticked that box. We were there. We talked about our credibility, and like, I don't there's not that many people in the room like a few hundred people i'm sure it's not going to make a massive impact to how much butter they sell but i just wonder why you waste your time on that yeah especially when you've especially when you've got so many other talks that are fighting for your time that that title was definitely like a verbal clickbait attempt at getting people in and it worked so maybe, maybe that's what they wanted but yeah no i did find it really strange that how they were the only talk i maybe saw about a dozen talks over the couple of days and i that was the only one that didn't take questions you, if you tried to ask a question on that i don't know what, i don't know what they would have done because they didn't i would love their hands went up but there was no questions really welcome so it was weird it was very weird can i can i put a positive spin on can I, can I close the shit sandwich with something that I thought was like a, I thought it was really good. I was really impressed by. So um, lady from Tesco, she runs like their club card and their loyalty. She was probably my highlight and it wasn't the sexiest conversation, but her talk was, is loyalty dead? Um, she started by saying, like, who's in a loyalty scheme? Everyone's raising their hands. Um, so I think when she started a few years ago, there was like 15 or so million people in Tesco club card, but it was like literally just a program that gave away points. Um, and you get something through the mail every three months being like, here's some coupons, scan these and you'll get money off dog food. Um, and it's, there's some data, there's some data stuff behind it, like Dunham beer, like one of the, like one, like a really good example of early data analytics, customer, 
um, customer data company. The Club Card program was very, very successful. But she'd sort of taken control of it when it was losing a bit of its luster. And she'd like taken like, it through to the next generation. So she'd increased the number of members from like 15 million to 21. And hopefully there are thereabouts right on the numbers. Um, but she'd done sensible things like she'd made a nice app. The app had then merged into the into the main Tesco app. They were using the data to be more like, let's stop sending things out to people every three months. The postage on this is insane. We can go and build a better digital product. Um, thinking about how do we make the offers with partners more relevant? If you're in Glasgow, there's no point as giving you offers that are relevant to Madden Two Swords in London. How do we make our partner offers link better to you and your geographic region and your spending habits? Um, and there's something really interesting about like so many loyalty programs, especially in like grocery or retail, right? They're just giving away points for behavior that people would have already had. I thought what Tesco were doing, especially around the, um, they've talked, I, I've seen that the Tesco club card offers where like you get buy a frozen pizza instead of being £3.50, it's for £1.99 with your club card. How they've persuaded FMCG companies to be like, yes, you, we will do that deal with you. I don't know. I just look at that and I go like, right, that was a business that was being really frightened by the big discounters like Lidl and Aldi. And they've gone through a very sensible set of steps. Um, they've gone and built a really nice digital product. Um, their advertising and their creative around it is really nice. And I, again, I compare that to grocers in North America. So whether it's the US or Canada and to here, like loyalty is just throwing points at people. There's no sense of actually, how do we, how do we change their behavior? How do we help them through a time of cost of living crisis? How does that commercially help us when there's other entrants coming into the market? Um, it was just a really nice talk to kick off the day. Um, so yeah, really, I, I was really, really impressed by that one. Yeah, I was disappointed that I missed that one because um, there was a, there was a queue out the door because the way the stage was set up was that it would they would let I don't know however many people the class it was three hundred people and then you could queue to to take spaces if people had left. Um, but obviously Tesco was a big talk, so I didn't get a chance to check that one out. Um, we talk about the queues for a, bit, a second. So like when I got there, I couldn't get in, and um, so like they and like we can we can be British and we can moan about the shit show that it was. But I actually thought like there's something really interesting as a signal that these guys have run this event for a few years. They was they was apparently saying that like normally 40% of people don't turn up. In this case, basically everybody turned up. There's some bottlenecks in the venue. They, the venue was too small. They they they, they fucked up basically. Um, but they were like going through people in the queue, being like, "Here's some food. Here's some beer. We're really sorry we messed up. Next year we'll have a bigger venue." I thought the way they owned the mistake is actually there's a really good lesson in. We, we all make mistakes and we all screw up and I'd flown from Canada for it, but like, I'm not mad at them because they like owned it and they did, they did a good job about handling it. And next year they'll do it bigger and better and they'll have greater space. And they did do the final day where they actually like, cause the fact that they were reacting to the problem in real time as well, where the final day, they actually restricted entry between certain times and clearly signposted that as well was a bit of a nice touch. They, they responded to it, but the fact that that many people are turning up for that event, like, I'm, I'm doing, I'm at my third conference in three weeks and I'm a bit conference fatigued. That event felt a bit different and it felt like there's, there's, a, there's something really special in the water here that I think, again, I think I said it at the top, but like that had been lost a little bit, but like we need more events that are like, right, it, it's a festival. Like here's, here's some, here's some free beer, some great food. It's not like your normal conference crap. It's outside in a cool area. There's some good people. When you have that vibe, it makes it better for everybody because you can just go up and say, hey, like, what are you up to? 
Whereas when you're doing it in like the sort of traditional conference format and thinking back to collision, like you people are like going, well, what does, oh yeah, you're an investor. I want to talk to you. It didn't have that sort of cliquey vibe that a lot of events have. So Yeah. It was a big change from Money 2020 because it didn't clearly signpost what who the person was or what their role. Like I said, it didn't just say speaker, investor, attendee. It isn't just a big signpost of who you should talk to. It's uh, you should explore and chat to folk. Yeah. And then like, it's just nice. Just, just, be, just be good people. Just go talk to interesting people and see what happens. So. I was going to ask as a wrap up, um, what would be your tip? for attending next year uh hopefully the organizers will have that bigger venue because then you can get in and out and move around easier um i think that i think that the important thing for those kind of events when you have like conflicting things is almost take a mate and then go send them to the things that you're not in and like sort of double your chances um but that, that to me that was one of those things of like i we, we need more conversations about better marketing and we need more conversations about better marketing that are not just campaigns and digital measurable stuff. Um, so I think my advice for like next year is people should go to that event um, because it's distinctly different. And um, if they haven't done the Mad Masters thing with Rory Sutherland, again, massive fanboy. Um, but the way that guy thinks about the world and the way he like, the, the analogies that he has and just the way he like, He's encouraging people to not follow the, the the traditional playbook and not always play it safe. Before the event next year, do the online course because that's how I got my ticket. My ticket was free because of that. Um, yeah, that'd be my advice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I was going to be cynical and just be like, get it early. But obviously, since they're going to address the issue, um, it's it's uh, definitely going to be something that's fixed. And I'd love to go again next year because, like you say, it's a different environment. It felt a bit, for lack of a better term, scrappy, but it felt it felt like a lot more alive as a result of that instead of just being an, a straight transactional sort of thing that these conferences can be. There is, and I, I do think we need to start the, the campaign. We talked on the Collision podcast about countries and like conference booths needing to improve their, they spend a lot of money, but they could do that in a lot better way. To me, this is an example of like conferences can do a much better job of like a conference should be fun. And this was fun. Uh -huh. um, so yeah, just go to it. Do this over something else. Thanks for taking time to sit down and talk to me in. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. Don't go anywhere just yet. As a bonus, here is our interview at Madfest with Matt Woods, co-founder and CEO of AFK, the attention marketing and talent management agency supporting content creators across social media and video games. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me, Matt. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I know it's really, really busy here, so I'll get I'll try and keep it brief. Um, so I was just starting off uh, a little bit about you and what it is that you do and you've, what, why is it that you came to Madfest? Yeah, my name is Matt Woods. I'm the CEO of founder of AFK. AFK is a global attention marketing agency. So we position ourselves um, across three verticals already. One's influencer management, that's our creator division. Um, pros, which takes care of everything in esports consultancy. So we represent players, we bring sponsorships to teams and right holders events. Um, and then lastly, marketing agency we do a lot across uh, media buying media planning creative strategy um reaching gen z you know on twitch tiktok youtube all the platforms that you can imagine podcasts included um and a lot of what we do is in gaming so yeah that's why i'm passionate so. oh, that's great that's great i was just told we were just told before like i'm a big gamer myself so it's a really really big pleasure to try and talk to it's a lot of somebody who's in that sort of field because it's not something that you stumble across often at these sort of marketing events 
um, stuff that's really tied to, to video games is such. What, what is the background? How did you find your way into this field? How did you find or be a part of DFK? Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think anyone who's here really knows how they got here or why they're here. Perhaps it's a bigger, more meaningful question. Um, I always play games, you know, it was a waste of time according to my entire family. Uh, and I was a loser to my friends. But um, when I was at uni, I was supposed to be doing my master's in anthropology. Um, I had a lot of spare time and I got really good. Oh, that's a bit of a clout, but uh, pretty good at a game called League of Legends. Um, which at that time, four or five years ago, we were a very popular game. Um, I started making content, streaming, uh, joined an esports organization as like a substitute player, and then met amazing people who did the same thing, but much more successfully than I did. And I realized I wanted to help others, help as many people as possible, and so I started a talent agency to do that. Um, and then that made me interact with brands, and as I had a background in marketing and growth of startups, I thought, hey, I can help these people understand the space, what is influence marketing, what is gaming, what is Twitch. Over the last few years, that's obviously blown up and with it uh, so as our agency. So um, that's how I kind of got in here. It wasn't, it just kind of happened and that's the beauty of it. Was COVID a big sort of spike and a big uptick? Was that a big time for you or was it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it just like people had to look to turn to stuff, right? And so live streaming, Twitch, gaming, like everybody was doing it, finally. And it, it just broke down all those stigmas and took us out of this niche. Um, you know, there were stereotypes, they still exist, but they were broken down a lot. And, um, you know, there were a lot of media spend across. So that's why I'm now here at Madfest. As I realized during COVID that, oh shit, oh, I don't know if I can swear on this, but oh shit, um, I'm in the advertising space. So yeah, that's how it all came about. But um, no, so what is it that brings you to Madfest? Is it sort of a, is it sort of a connections or is it sort of to bring more awareness to AFK or? Yeah, good question. So uh, first time I came, uh, a service provider of mine called Tagger, amazing people, um, a great product. They invited me. I had no idea what it was. It was free. I thought, okay, I'll go check it out. I thought I'll go one day. It's on for three. Um, realized it was all you can eat food, all you can eat drink. And I mean, you know, all the best people from the UK in one space, whether it's brand agency and figure out about stuff you don't even know, like, you know, ad tech always everywhere. Um, and it's probably one of the best, if not the best event that I've actually been to. Uh, everyone's super friendly. And yeah, then this year I had to come back, did all three days, and it's just great. And you know, like, my best recommendation for someone is come, experience it, let down your hair. Yeah. You know, like, people here just want to have fun. And then from that, you know, meaningful personal and business adventures may develop. As a final piece, what would be your top tip for someone who's like looking to get into the industry that you're already? Not necessarily, just have to necessarily be related to video games, but like in terms of marketing and, and brand management. Just do it. You know, like the classic Nike phrase. I mean, everyone plans like, oh yeah, I've got this idea. I always used to have ideas, great. I always used to write them down or think about them for 30 seconds and forget about them. But, um, you know, don't, uh, yeah, you need a strategy to a degree, but I'm not a big believer that you need to plan everything out, organize it and overthink for like six to nine months before you begin. Start and then figure those things out along the way. And, um, you know, if you're onto something, like something good and, you know, you're a great person, um, then there's no doubt you'll be successful. Like if you pour everything into it, um, then it's not going to be your fault if it doesn't succeed, um, but most likely it will. So that's what I would recommend. But um, yeah, make sure it's something you love so you can be all in. Yeah. That's so amazing. concludes well, another episode of Live Leisure. Nice to meet you. I appreciate you sure to follow and subscribe Thank to the podcast no matter your platform of choice. And of course, start your journey today with us at labelsessions.com.